This is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. A funny thing's happened since I've started Balance Sheet. As I continue to meet advisors to business leaders, I've realized that the concept of balance is not only outdated, it may even be toxic. Rather than thinking of our life and work as two sides of a scale, today's guest encourages his clients to bring all of the slices of our lives into harmony. In this episode, I spoke with founder and president of Peak Consulting Group and author of The Work-Life Balance Myth, Rethinking Your Optimal Balance for Success, Dave McNeff. We talk about why millennials aren't taking any time to just simply think and how thinking time has given the leaders he coaches the ability to prepare for the next set of challenges. He walks me through his seven slice method and what he calls the rules of engagement for high performing teams. Here's my conversation with Dave. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you for uh, having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. I know that you wear many hats. So tell me, tell us all about your background. Uh, yes, it's a little confusing, but here we go. So in my consulting practice, uh, I do a number of different things. Tier one is a lot of executive talent development work for CEOs, their direct reports, and their direct reports with a focus uh, primarily on leadership, communication, corporate presence, and managing people up, down, and across the organization. Tier two, I do a lot of conflict resolution work. A lot of that comes out of the private equity sector. So they own companies, then they go out and buy other companies, and they tuck the two teams together, and often they don't play that well in the sandbox. And so I get asked to parachute into those burning buildings to see if I can douse the flames. And then third thing, which is totally unrelated, I do jury and trial consulting for patent litigations in the pharmaceutical sector. So my clients are the brand companies, they get sued by the generics, and then my job is to sort of help profile and select the jury, profile the federal judge, and then during the litigation advise my client whether they should settle or let it go to the bench or let it go to the jury. And then finally, the fourth thing is I do uh, keynote speaking. And then all of that work is actually what produced the book, The Work-Life Balance Myth, because people, various situations where stress is involved, I came up with this little method and a couple of people said, you really ought to write a book about that. And uh, so one day I did, uh, which has led us to our conversation today. And we are going to talk about that method in just a moment, but I just want to start by talking about, you know, you mentioned the title of the book, The Work-Life Balance Myth, and obviously this podcast is called Balance Sheet, but we've spent a lot of time on this podcast kind of re-examining what balance really means. So tell me about where you stand right now on the concept of work-life balance. Conceptually, and where this method spun out of in in the corporate circle was this. The myth is that you can have a mathematical balance in your life with two areas or slices of your life being work and family. Because work, for most, takes up the bulk of your time. That doesn't mean it's more important than your family is just on a balancing, a mathematical balancing 
platform, there's, there's no chance of having that kind of balance. However, what I took as a method is we all live five other slices or parts of our lives, which if we invest minutes, not hours or days, but minutes of time per week, the sense that people have declared is I have a feeling of being balanced, but it's really harmony, meaning though I can never mathematically be in perfect balance in my life, I can certainly have a harmonious life where that makes me feel balanced. And when I, in theory, behaviorally, if I feel balanced, I must be in harmony or more in harmony than when I feel out of balance. So that's the concept is that the way I talk about it is solving the stress problem through addition rather than subtraction. Don't take anything away from your life. Just add a little bit and you may find or most people claim to find a sense of harmony. And then the examples that I use in the book, the case studies are of people who gave it a shot and try to add certain slices, if you will, of, of their lives and came out the other end feeling, you know what, I'm a little, I'm, I'm in balance. <laughs> I would go, well, no, you're not. You'll never be in balance. That's the myth part. But if you're in harmony, it seems like you can handle, you know, the daily surprises you get that tip us over one way or the other in our, uh, you know, family and professional lives for the most part. You know, that's where stress, I think, gets manufactured, at least for me. I've got a 24-7 factory going, producing stress every day. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You think of balance as kind of a scale and you have work on one end and your life on the other end, which is already problematic. But if you think about it as, as harmony, it's so many different aspects working together, complementing each other. I think that's a good word, compliment. I think our other five slices of our lives are there for that reason, to complement the rest of your life that really takes up most of your time. You know, those other five slices, for some people, it was a very easy thing to grasp. And other people, oh my gosh, they're intertwined. And both are correct. So... If the other five beyond family and professional, you know, you have your personal life, your physical life, your emotional life, your intellectual life, and then finally your spiritual life. So these five lives, as I often like to to point out, point out, you know, there's only one slice of our lives that involve money. As you know, I've, I've said the other five slices. A family involves money because you're providing, sure. right? We're, we're, we're paying for things. So that those two slices have money as a key element. The other five have no money. They're free. They're free. <laughs> and it, it's, it's like, well, why don't you just, you know, take a walk for 15 minutes three times a week with your spouse or partner and talk about whatever. So all of a sudden, that's your physical and emotional slice combined for 15 minutes three times a week. It has a positive effect. Why wouldn't you? Well, I can't afford the time. 
And I go, well, hold on. It's 15 minutes. Cut it to 10. I don't care. You know, make it five. It doesn't seem to be the minutes. It's the intent and then the actual exercise of doing it that has the impact. One of the slices is spiritual, and I do not consider myself a religious person, but for me, meditation has been really important and helpful. I only look to do about 10 minutes a day. And even that is really like I've, I'm, I'm slacking lately. I think the last week, I don't, I don't think I've meditated at all. And you think, oh, 10 minutes, everybody has 10 minutes, but it is hard to actually do it. Tell me a little bit, it's called the seven slice method. Tell me about the method. We understand the slices. The method involves first assessing uh, almost on a circular pie chart, seven slices. How many slices, as you go around all seven, where is your time? So I've done this with individuals. I've done it with teams. By the way, with teams, it's it's an absolute laugh out loud, hilarious first five minutes because everyone's percentages, you know, you only have 100% of your time, right? Well, when we do the math, was, we try it the first time, it's like 250%. <laughs> Everyone's putting time into slices that go, no, 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 it's not 100%. You can't go over 100. Oh, oh, then it's only 1%. Yeah, so you, you have 1% of your time in your personal life. Mm-hmm. So the method is to assess what amount of time, if any, you spend in these other five slices. What we have found is the average person has two to four slices with zero in it, meaning per week, on average, I spend no time in the intellectual slice. I haven't read a book, an article, or been interested in a subject outside of work or home for five years. Another person goes, you know what, like what you just said a minute ago, Olivia, I used to meditate and I don't have time. So I haven't meditated in a year. And the next person goes, you know, I was a college athlete and I haven't even walked fast in two years. So this is what the method, the step one is, where am I not spending any time? Because that's the next step, which is then try or make a commitment, a decision to spend some number of minutes in those slices next week. So what happened is people tried it, and it's better on teams, by the way, because there's a mutual accountability thing. So you meet, how did you do? Well, you know what? I took a walk, and it felt pretty good. And I, so that that was good. And the next person, go, yo, I, I read 10 minutes before I went to bed. That book, you know, I was interested. Okay, that's fine. So there's sort of this mutual support thing. But even on an individual basis, doing it alone, there is a feeling. Now, this is where, you know, my engineers and lawyers, you know, we're pushing back a little bit. Well, Dave, isn't that just a feeling? And then I have to point out, well, you know, human beings have thoughts and feelings. It turns out we all have. (laughs) It's just that some of us have no access to them Mm -hmm. and others have more access. But by doing something in your emotional life, at least you touch it periodically, to remind yourself, if nothing else, that you have a feeling of happiness, fatigue, joy, frustration, 
and then you can do something about it because, you know, and this is on a whole separate subject, but, you know, in the work I do with executives, some of them are pretty angry. Hmm. And during COVID, very frustrated. And one of the questions I would ask is, okay, in a leadership role or high management role that you have is, what do you plan to do with that frustration? Well, as soon as my team performs better, I'll be less frustrated. Okay, outside of that, which may or may not happen, what do you plan to do with your frustration? You gotta gotta do something with it because you can't just let it build. In the book, I, I address what I call the problem of accumulation, which has bubbled up in March with the one year anniversary of being at home with COVID. You know, a lot of people have just been daily adding up their frustrations, disappointments, et cetera, over the course of a year. And my theory about accumulation is it's not that it's going to tip you over as some big problem. It's probably just the next minor problem that's going to tip you over because you haven't been able to disperse your frustration of being stuck at home with a blurred work family line you know there's no commuting time to transition there's no community activity to disperse interest you know you're kind of stuck and people who don't like being stuck they get pretty frustrated over the past well the first quarter of this year in my work that's been a lot of the focus is just frustration i would say that resonates with me have realized that I do feel frustrated. It's accumulated in me for sure. So it is very important for me to work those other slices into my day at, you know, into my week at least. The walks are really big now that the weather's getting a little bit nicer here on the East Coast. I go on walks all day long, but now my husband and I go on walks after dinner um, with our son. I imagine there are activities like that that check a lot of more than one box, check more than one slice, right? So the walk is is obviously physical, but it's also a way for my husband and I to kind of reconnect after a tough day. And it's also maybe a little spiritual. We're outside, birds are chirping, and probably other slices that I'm not even thinking of. The amazing thing that I found from the case studies to people I've worked with is this exercise of getting involved in the other five slices makes the family life, like you were just referencing walking with your family, it makes the time I spend in my family life better. And in my professional life, I'm less frustrated. So it's not like these five exclude the main two. Right. There, It, it actually disperses what builds up in those two and makes those two more enjoyable, easier to handle. And the interesting fact that I had to point out to a number of people go, wow, this is really working. I have good work-life balance and the stress level seems to be down. And then I would point out, you realize nothing has changed. Hmm. Stress is still the same level. It's just that now you're handling the prior same level. You're handling it because of those other five. What's changing is your daily routine now includes rather than excludes those five slices. Hmm. So of the slices, do you notice that people tend to be lacking in any particular slices more 
often than others? Is it maybe different men versus women or generationally? Do you notice any trends like that just among the people that you talk to? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say trends, but I, there are patterns. Okay. So men, for example, not a hundred percent, but a good half of the men will say, you know, I really don't have an active emotional life. You know, my wife wants me to talk more, but, you know, I come home and I'm tired or whatever. I don't want to talk about this, that, or the other. So men tend to wrestle with that. Men and women wrestle with the spiritual part, meaning I used to be religious and now I'm, or I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, but I don't spend any time praying or meditating or walking in the woods for a nature experience. I'd like to, uh, but I don't. On the physical, I will say this, and please take this all, all of you listening the right way, but you know, nobody gains 20 pounds on a Tuesday. So, you know, due to lifestyle day daily, you know, inch by inch, I gain 20 pounds. So then all of a sudden, I need to lose 20 pounds. Boy, that's going to be hard. How, how am I going to lose 20 pounds? And my concept, and I go, well, how do you think, you know, are you going to lose that COVID-20? And he goes, I don't know, I've got to hit the gym or I'm going to have to do it. I go, well, you're going to lose it the same way you gain every day. What are you going to change daily? And this is the, it's for the physical slice. What are you going to change incrementally? so that your physical life might be better. And I do know people whose physical lives are fit are unquestionably happier. They just feel better. Their whole life, all the other slices are a little bit better, not dramatically, but just incrementally better because they feel healthier. I can definitely attest to that when I'm exercising, everything does feel just slightly better and more manageable. When you speak with somebody whose day is incredibly full of work, so they wake up and they are already behind and they barely have time for lunch and they're working into the night, how do you help that person incorporate the other slices into their week? Somebody whose first instinct is to say to you, not enough hours in the day. Yeah, great question. Remember in business, we lead, manage, and execute, and they're often three different layers of the organization as well. So the people who raise their hand first to ask your question are the executioners, and particularly in COVID. So I've had this question, I'm going to say, 20 times. Uh, in fact, just last week, I had a, a, a room full of uh, millennials. And, you know, they're in the uh, the financial world. Day, 7.30, Zoom till 7.30 at night. You know, dinner is at 10 o'clock. You know, I'm signing off at midnight. What are you talking about? And I said, okay. So what's the problem? And they go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, the symptoms are, you know, you're tied up in Zoom meetings all day long. You just said 7.30 to 7.30. Let me ask you a question. In order to find some sort of balance, is that necessary? Remember, whenever I give these talks, 
their boss is on is on the Zoom call. In this case, I said there were two bosses. I said, uh, "Hello, bosses. You know those Zoom back to back to back. Are these people the execution people? Are they required? No, no, they're not. But we just thought, you know, it'd be good for them to attend. I go, well, what if they could cut down? So what happened was the bosses sat down and go, yeah, every Monday morning, we're going to send out a list of the Zoom calls you can join, but you're not required to be on. So what happened? Am I a genius? No. Every problem has a solution. When you feel like I have no control, in other words, the work is telling they have to be on every call. Well, you would feel that way if you were not in touch with your whole self. Because if you're in touch with your whole self, emotionally, does that feel right? That I could be on calls that I say nothing on, half of them? Nobody asks me a single question. I don't speak. And that's my job? Is that is that right? Now, people who don't raise their hands are unevolved in those five slices. So one of the questions I always ask everyone, and I'll, I could even ask you, how much time per week do you spend thinking? Not doing anything, just thinking. I have found millennials tell me zero. Yeah, any example I would give you is actually a time where I'm listening or reading. You know, if I'm out, I was going to say, oh, well, you go on walks. But when I'm on a walk, I'm usually listening to a podcast. How many minutes per day or week do you think? The answer I get is zero. Now, more senior executives have time because they know they have to. Mm -hmm. Remember, in leadership circles, which I live in, you have to be able to look around the corner metaphorically, meaning, okay, this month, what's coming? And then look at the horizon, which is next year and beyond what's coming. The only way you can do that is to pause and think Mm. and do nothing. And so it's a maturity skill that I worry in COVID is really missing in the same way children who have not been in school for a year are, are missing the education tools that community of students breed among themselves. So that peer pressure of Susie sitting next to you and Tommy sitting next to you are five pages ahead of you. In the book, you go, whoa, whoa, I've got to catch up. At home, it's like, oh, who cares? <laughs> who cares about the five pages? I'm sure you know no one else is reading. How do you know? And, and so I just find... For my own self, thinking time keeps me ahead of some of the next few problems coming my way. Just the ability to anticipate problems is a benefit for when the problem shows up. I'm thinking about it more. I would say that the only time that I'm really just quietly thinking, because even when I'm meditating, you're just focusing on your breath, or at least the way that I meditate is to focus on your breath. So I'm not thinking. The only time would be when I'm in the shower. (laughs) Because I'm forced. (laughs) What else can I do? Right. What else am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And by the way, somebody brought that up during my presentation. 
with a client. A guy brought up, he goes, hey, listen, the, this thinking time, I get these incredible thoughts in the shower. And I go, well, have you ever thought that maybe time in the shower and those thoughts are there for a reason? Some of those thoughts that come in when you're literally doing nothing maybe aren't random. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. What if they're not? What would you do with some of those thoughts? This thinking piece has become huge in COVID with my clients. It's been the number one thank you. The thinking part has actually helped more than anything else I've done this year. I did want to come back to one thing we talked about earlier, which was being on a call without speaking. Yes. Because this is something that I, I experienced too. And it's, I think it's a bigger problem than people realize. So when you're on the call and you're not speaking and then the call is over, I experience this yucky feeling. That's the best way I could describe it. And what I think it is, is beyond just, oh, people have, I don't want to go as far as to say they disrespected my time, but they did not necessarily respect my time. So it's beyond that. I think that's the first layer. And I think the next layer is a sense of, I guess my time doesn't matter. Maybe my time doesn't matter. And I think that that's so toxic. What's a a way for people who are at that executioner level to have leaders respect their time more and thus to respect their own time more? You're swinging on my side of the table big time here. It always comes down to leadership, even meetings. Always comes down, well, like who's who's in charge, who's leading the meeting? So on high-performing teams, teams that are really focused on maximizing, not just showing up, but we're really going to, we have to grow and we're going to grow. So those teams have rules of engagement. One of them generally in all across the board is in every meeting, if you attend, you participate. Even if it's just to say, I agree with what everyone has to say rather than sit silently on my Zoom call. So that's number one. Number two, the leader, and by the way, the leader doesn't have to be the boss, but the, the, the agenda leader of the meeting needs to articulate up front the purpose, which then enables people to connect, oh, I am connected or I'm not. Now, to answer your question directly, if my sense is, given the agenda for today's two o'clock call, I'm not sure I should be on, but I'm happy to attend, is the approach. In other, in other words, it's a question rather than a statement. Well, I saw the agenda. I'm not going to the meeting. Right. That's not going to work, particularly in COVID. That's insulting. That's aggressive. But it's like, can I ask a question? I saw the agenda. Uh, it doesn't really pertain to what we're doing. Happy to attend, but what's your position? Oh, uh, great point. Yeah, you, you probably don't need to attend this one. It's owning what you own and asking about what you don't. Meaning, I don't own the agenda, but I've seen the agenda. I own what I do for a living in my role. Doesn't seem to, is it there? Is it in? The, uh, no, not really, Dave. Okay, so should I not attend? When people go, well, can I do that? Well, if you make it a question, Yes. If you make it a statement, no. 
And I like what you said about being on the call and even just saying, I agree, because I think that if you find yourself on a call where you're not really participating, but if you have the expectation on yourself that you're going to state at some point that you agree or disagree, then you better be paying attention. When we get into a call where we realize that we're probably not going to really participate, I think we zone out. And then that's even worse. (laughs) Then you're really just sitting on a call, not even paying attention, just wasting your own time. So if you have the expectation on yourself that you are at least going to state if you agree with what's being said or you don't, then I think it does put the pressure on to at at the very least be paying attention. So I like that. I'm going to implement that. I, I call it prefacing, but you know, for every one-hour meeting, I like to preface expectations. So this is a meeting, for example, this is a meeting where I'm going to go through the first 15 minutes and I'll be addressing this particular subject, but then I'm handing it off to you all and the expectation is you're going to weigh in on this content, okay? Is everybody clear with that? And then silence is not okay. So everyone has to unmute, hear myself say yes. I have to now pay attention because I now have to speak to a response. I think the mistake, you know, lots of leaders and managers have done is they're just assuming way too much. People don't know how to do this all day long. They just, they get tired and they get confused and I have found, particularly over the past year, people don't do a lot of the things they're supposed to do. And I have found the two culprits for not doing things is, number one, I don't want to. And right behind it, number two, maybe 1A, I don't know how to. So on Zoom, it's really easy to command, okay, Olivia, uh, next Tuesday, you're going to deliver a report and that update. And so we'll see you next Tuesday. Okay, Bill, Jerry, everyone else. And meet in the call ends and Olivia goes, I don't know how to do that. And I can't walk down the hall. I'm going to have to schedule a Zoom call, but everyone's calendars are full. Nobody can see me, so I'm not going to get it done. And I see this every week. And then during review season, people got hit. And they didn't like it. But then the reviewer said, well, you didn't do half half of what you were supposed to. What do you want from me? Well, how could I do it? There was no one to ask. I have found if you're in touch with all seven of your slices, your confidence level goes up. And what happens when you're confident? You ask more questions. That's definitely true. Same with me. If I lack confidence on a call, in a meeting, in a situation, I stay quiet. Hmm. When I'm confident, hey, uh, this may be a dumb question, but how do you do this? I have no clue. And, oh, thank you, Dave, for asking that question. It's not dumb. This is how you do it. This method, trust me, you will learn more about yourself because when you spend time in your intellectual, spiritual, emotional slices of your life, you learn things. And it settles you down and raises your confidence. You know, it's kind of like shyness. We all share it, just at different levels. Some people are very shy in every situation. Other people are very shy in just a few situations. But how do you know? What what is my shyness level? Like, you need to know in business, 
what environments are you most shy in? Because you want to manage it if it can hurt your career. And by the way, some people are should be more shy. Dial it down. You're not in control here. How about a little shyness? And so I don't think you can become totally self-aware without these seven slices. I, I just think it's a risk. The last question that I want to ask you, Dave, is specific takeaways for those dealing with the stress and complications of working from home. What are the things that you would you would want to tell those of us who are stuck at home, maybe feeling some of that frustration, juggling kids and work? What are the takeaways specifically for this kind of unique time in our lives? Real simple answer, which of course belies the complexity and difficulty of it. Unfortunately, all of us, you, me, we have to schedule our lives now. Zoom got way out ahead of us. It was too easy. This technology is a miracle. I'm 10 times more productive. Well, in some ways, you're more productive. And in other ways, you're very unproductive. True. So, for example, I have told every single client who has this scheduling problem, take the commuting time and put these slices in that former commuting time. Well, Dave, the meetings are starting at 8. Yeah. What time did you used to get to the office? Oh, gosh. Yeah. 830, 845 because of the traffic. Good. That's when you'll start your day now. So you have a whole hour per day to put these other five slices to work. I don't know what we're all about, but we all kind of like to play the victim to the slave. We're slaves to productivity. There are ways to build time. And so on a practical level, I say schedule it and it will happen. If you don't and you water ski behind your life, I'm sorry, somebody else is controlling your life. Why don't you pull that rope and jump in the boat and start staring at yourself? And uh, uh, trust me, nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing bad is going, you're not going to be less productive. You'll be as productive or more in less time. My message is, you know, take control back of what you can control. Most success-oriented people try to control everything. And my pitch always is, let everybody else control their thing. You control yours. Final message. (laughs) That was a great note to end it on. Dave, this was really fun. Thank you so much for all of this great advice. 